morning. Our main text is going to be Mark chapter 5. Turn to Mark chapter 5 and get to verse 25 and then I'm going to pray and we're going to begin. Mark 5, verse 25. Father, we thank you this morning that we can come into your house together in person as brothers and sisters and worship you. Thank you for the worship this morning. We thank you for your word. And Father, we understand that the worship and the word works together. You've prepared our hearts and broken up the soil of our hearts so that we could receive the word this morning. Holy Spirit, make the word come alive to us as we seek you. Um, We seek you for your truth and your wisdom, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. So allow us to hear and to do. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Well, we started a series on miracles last week and talking about the miracles of Jesus. If you weren't here for that introduction, I encourage you to listen to it online and get that in your spirit. Talked about all the miracles did. Uh, Jesus did in the New Testament for us to uh, experience them by the Holy Spirit in the Word. And uh, we talked about why Jesus did miracles. So uh, that was a great setup for this series. But now as the Lord leads me, I'm going I'm to talk about some of the miracles that Jesus did. And we said the bulk of the miracles Jesus did were healing miracles in the body. Some 21, 22 were all miracles of healing. And we're going to look at some of those this morning. Uh, but understand... Uh, Jesus did miracles for a purpose, and he did it to encourage our faith and to, to draw the lost and to bring salvation to this world, to prove who his father was and to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. All of these are the reasons Jesus did miracles. He did them in biblical times, and he still does them today. Someone say amen. amen. We serve a God who still does miracles. Amen. amen. He's not the great I was or the great has been. He's the great I am. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, greater things than this shall you do. I don't know about you, Jesus did some incredible stuff. Yet when he passed the baton to his church, he said, greater things than this shall you do. These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, amen? By his stripes we might be healed or someday get healed or we are healed. It is finished, amen? Come on this morning, amen. So as we're looking at the texts here, uh, there's many miracles to choose from this morning. Uh, I'm going to start with the one in Mark 5, and it's the woman with the hemorrhage of blood. And this, is, uh, this has been a powerful miracle always to me. There's so many great elements of how this woman approaches Jesus. But this miracle had a continual... Uh, this woman had this continual hemorrhage of blood. Now, we're going to talk about the implications of that alone, but the King James says that she had an issue of blood. And I like that translation because we can relate to it culturally because we describe every person with a serious problem as someone who has an issue. In fact, the truth is all of us have issues. In fact, look around today. I want you to look around. Stop looking at me. Look at each other. Look around. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, you've got issues. <laughs> All right, easy. Don't fight. Just, just tell them. Just, husbands and wives are it's getting heated in here. 
But we have issues. All of us have issues. You took a, took a look around today and you saw, you know, there's none of us that are perfect and without issues. In fact, the people who pretend they don't have issues are the scariest people of all. You ever see people like that? They like try to pretend there's nothing wrong with them. They've got everything together. Those are the people that they usually wind up making an episode of Criminal Minds about, you know, just because they're hiding something. The rest of us know we're not perfect and we don't try and hide it too much. But, you know, we've all got issues. Now, this woman here had an issue of blood. It was a physical issue. And there is three ways that we can respond to the fact that we have issues. And I want to talk about that kind of in introducing this miracle. But before I do that, I want to read you the text where this appears. In the Gospels, three of the Gospel writers write about this woman with the issue of blood. And uh, Matthew 9, verse 20 through 22 gives us three verses. Luke 8, 43 through 48 gives us six verses. And Mark 5, 25 through 34 gives us 10 verses. So Mark has the most detail, but I'm going to take the time to read you each account. And notice how they build upon each other and reaffirm the same uh, basic facts, but add detail. Mark 9, 20 through 22, and behold, a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the border of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will get well. But Jesus turned and seeing her said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. Luke 8, 43 through 48. And a woman who had suffered a chronic flow of blood for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one that touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had left me. Now when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and admitted in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Mark 5, 25 through 34. A woman who had a hemorrhage of blood for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but instead had become worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she had been saying to herself, if I just touch his garment, I will get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And immediately Jesus perceived in himself that power from him had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be cured of your disease. Now you can see these three accounts in the three different gospels all build upon each other, all add uh, you know, more detail. Mark has the greatest detail. We will use it as our text this morning. Uh, by God's grace, I'm just gonna cover verses 25 through 28 and we'll continue next week, God willing. But this woman... 
had issues. And the gospel gives an account of the miracle that took place there. There are three ways we can respond to the fact that we have issues. And the first one is this. We can pretend that we don't have them. Many people pretend that, you know what, everything's fine, everything's fine with me emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. I'm in order, I'm okay. How many times do people ask you how you're doing? And you say, I'm doing good. And really, you're a hot mess. But you don't want anybody to know because it's easier to deny the fact that, you know, nothing's going on with us rather than to admit that we have issues. Now, I want to just say something about denial Denial is not just a river in Egypt. People live in denial every day. Here are a few ways that people live in denial. One, one, one way is this. People deny the presence and price of sin in their lives. We live in a generation that doesn't want to say the S word. And I mean sin. And it's like people think, well, if I don't acknowledge sin or pretend sin's not real or don't pretend I don't have an issue with sin, then sin doesn't have an effect on me. And that's denial. Why? Because it's ignoring the spiritual elephant in the room. All of us are sinners. All of us need a savior. Jesus didn't die for nothing. He died for us. So people can deny the presence of sin and the price of sin in their lives. The Bible says that the wages of sin are death but the gift of God is eternal life, amen? So we live in a world that denies sin and pretend that sin doesn't exist, and yet that doesn't have any effect on sin because it still uh, brings its effect upon the, the soul of the sinner, and we need a Savior to remedy that issue. Someone say amen. amen. We can deny our own bad behavior, personality, uh, flaws, and character quirks. You know, all of us have character flaws. All of us have personality quirks. Quirks and flaws. Anybody? Anybody married? Come on. Anybody discover something about your spouse you didn't even want to know? You guys are too serious today. You're afraid, you're afraid, you're afraid John, right? You don't want to say anything. Donna's got the elbow ready. Okay. But you live with somebody, what, we've been together 30 years, right? And we've been, we dated for a few. We're married 28 it's kind of a weak applause, but you know, they're, they're, they're praying for you. But, you know, we know things about each other that, I mean, quirks and the way we do things and little annoying things, you know, uh, that happens because why? We all have these things. But here's the thing. Some of those personality flaws and those quirks that we have and, and some of those issues that we have are serious. And we've got to acknowledge them. We can't be in denial about them. Most people just make excuses for them. It's funny how people use their nationality to excuse their character flaws. Well, you know, I'm that way because I'm Italian, you know. I'm a, I got to talk with my hands and I make these things. I have hot Latin blood, Pastor. That's why I'm explosive. You know, I'm Irish. You know, we, we like to fight. We fight at funerals. That's it. Uh, We make excuses. That's denial, amen? Some of these, and some of you still look way too serious. You're the messed up ones, man, I'm telling you. I'm writing your names down. There's no excuse for these things. They're serious issues, and they need to be addressed, and we've got, we've got to deal with them, but many people deny those quirks and those character flaws. How about this? Many people deny the downward spiral of life. 
you know, as we get older uh, and as we get set in our ways, if we don't, you know, get right with God and have a relationship with Jesus, things actually get worse, not better. How many realize the older you get, things get worse and not better? Most of us don't age like wine. We age like milk. Come on. When you're young and, you know, you got, I had so much patience for things when I was young, for the stupidity of people and stuff. I just patient. Now I'm like, I walk away from people in the middle of a sentence sometimes. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? I just don't have the patience for it anymore. And things don't get better as we get older. They get more complicated. And, you know, we can deny this downward spiral of life. But listen to me. There are many people who are just, oh, you know, I'm enjoying my golden years. And, all. and they're not Christians and they're not saved and they're, they're, they're still in their sin. And they're not getting better. They're getting worse. And, and it's a serious situation to be in denial about that. Because souls hang in the balance. You could sing, don't worry, be happy on a loop every day of your life. Until you draw your last breath, but if you don't bring it to Jesus, it's not going to get better. Denial is no way to face issues. In fact, if we are in denial about our issues today, I'm praying we get that breakthrough we were singing about so that we can face our issues. This woman had an issue. She didn't deny it. She didn't just go in the corner and pretend that she was okay. She faced her issue. Number two, the second way we can respond to an issue is this. We can try and fix it ourselves. See, and many times, you know, there is a, a component of life where we should do what we can for ourselves, amen? If my shoe's untied, I shouldn't pray and fast and, and say, God, tie my shoe, hallelujah. And heaven answered, tie it thyself. Why? Because I can tie my shoe, amen? We got to do what we can do. And, you know, we live in a generation that doesn't want to do what they need to do. They want somebody else to do it for them. I want this and I want that and I want it from you and I want, to, I want you to pay for it and I don't want to work hard for it and I want it now. It's quiet now. And the thing is, nothing comes in life without hard work and nobody owes us anything, including God. I got two amens from the old people. It was me and you. but we can try and fix things ourselves. Listen to verse 25 and 26. And the woman had the hemorrhage for 12 years. That's significant. We'll talk about that. And she had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but instead became worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she had been saying to herself, if I just touch his garments, I'll get well. So here's this woman, and she's got this issue. And this poor woman had suffered for 12 years. 12 years is a long time, amen? Most of us don't have the patience to suffer for 12 minutes, right? We start, what, complaining and getting angry and getting mad at God. And, and, and here's this woman suffering 12 long years with a physical issue, with constant blood loss. Now listen to me, from a physiological perspective, lo the long-term effects of constant blood loss would have left her weak, she would have been anemic, she would have a compromised immune system, and she'd have some degree of systemic organ failure. When you're losing blood, your body is breaking down. So here's this woman, she's weak, she's anemic, she's broken down, she's having internal problems, and, and, and she's had it for 12 years. Now Leviticus 17.11 says this, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. 
It's amazing how the Bible is so accurate. If you, if you want to know anything about your state physically, get your blood work done. Your blood will tell you everything. Well, how did they know that back in Leviticus? Leviticus, this is God's word, amen? Medical science hasn't caught up with the Bible yet, I just want to tell you. The Bible gives us all the truth we need. Understand something, the life is in the blood. What does that mean? That means if your blood, if your body's unhealthy, your blood will show it. Her issue was in her blood loss. She was literally, uh, her life was literally been stealing away. The quality of her life was literally being stolen one drop at a time. This woman was in a difficult spot. She needed a miracle, but yet she tried everything available to her to solve her problem and to face her issue. Now listen, it's one thing to deal with a health crisis, but it's another to wrestle with one for so long that it becomes the thing that defines you. Notice, we don't know the name of this woman. It's not, you know, Lori with the health issue. It's the woman with the issue of blood. That means her issue had been so big and so you know, overwhelming that she had literally become her issue. Everybody knew what her issue was. Her family, her friends, her neighbors, oh, here she comes again, she doesn't look good today. Uh, every doctor, every physician, everyone knew she was the woman with the issue of blood. If we don't face our issues, we become our issues. And our issues become bigger than us. This woman tried to fix her issue herself. Everyone knew it. Every doctor knew her. She'd been to everywhere and everyone she could. And look what the text says. She endured much at the hands of many physicians. Think about that. Now, I'm not against doctors. I'm thankful for medical science. I'm thankful for medicine. I'm thankful for doctors. Anybody else here? Because I'll, I'll break you open, then we'll stitch you up without anesthesia and see how you like it. I'm thankful, Amen. but it says that she suffered at the hands of many physicians. What does that mean? That means they didn't know how to help her, but they tried anyway. That means she had become a guinea pig for them. They had tried this and tried that and take this and do that. And let's, you know, let's do this and take this medicine and then take a cocktail and then, you know, do, do, you know, we're gonna mix a few things together. Let's see, and nothing was working. She continued to suffer, and she suffered at the hands of those physicians. She tried everything she knew. They tried everything she knew. And Mark tells us that the attempts to fix her resulted in this. She was now broke. She, she, nothing had worked. She wasn't getting better, and she was now getting worse. How discouraging. Have you ever tried to fix your problem? Have you ever tried to make yourself better? Have you ever tried to face your issue? You stopped denying it and you admitted it, but everything you seemed to do to try and fix it didn't work, and now you're getting worse. Maybe you stop, try to stop an addiction, try to stop with alcohol addiction, try to stop with a sexual addiction, and you tried with everything within you, and you, you read all the books in the self-help section. And you listen to Dr. Phil and Oprah and, and everybody else, Dr. Oz. And you took every pill they sold on the late night infomercials. This one's going to do it. It's from volcanic rocks in Guam. It's only $99 a, a pill. And you tried everything, and it didn't work. And now you're broke, and you're getting worse. What a situation to be in. The truth is there are some things in life that we just can't fix ourselves. 
The truth is there are some things in life that only God can fix. And if we try to fix them ourselves and we can't and we don't admit the fact that we've come to the end, we're going to be broke and we're going to be discouraged, exhausted and consumed physically, emotionally and financially broken down. Even though maturity would dictate that we bring our issues to God first, usually we try everything else before we come to God. Come on, and I know there's that component. I'm tying my own shoe, Pastor. I can, I can, I can deal with this. I can fix this. I, I can make this better. I can pull myself out of this ditch. It's not that deep. There comes a point where, you know, we've tried everything else, and we need to come to God. Winston Churchill said during the dark days of World War II that you can always count on Americans to do the right thing once they've tried everything else. And that's kind of funny. If you're not laughing, you have no sense of humor, but... The thing is, he was alluding to the fact that America had sat out of the war because we didn't want to get involved. We called it a European thing. So we sat there and watched the Nazis destroy Europe and pretty much getting ready to engulf, you know, Britain. And we didn't do anything to get involved. So he says, you know, we got involved when we had no other choice and we finally did the right thing. You know, they had cracked the German codes and they had cracked Japanese codes and knew that Pearl Harbor was going to happen. But British intelligence did not tell us or warn us because they knew the only way to get us in was to have us attacked and suffer loss or that we wouldn't do the right thing. Americans always do the right thing once they've tried everything else. Could we substitute the word Christian for American? Do Christians only do the right thing once we've tried everything else? Let's not be that way, man. This woman faced her issues. She tried her very best to do her part and to fix it herself, but she had struck out, and she thought, I'm out of options. Now, the third way we can deal with our issues is this. We can bring our issues to Jesus, and that's exactly what this woman did. In verse 27 through 28, it shows how she brought them to Jesus. We're going to take that apart and look at the details here. This woman thought she'd exhausted all of her options, and maybe you're out there today thinking, I've exhausted all my options. I've tried to deal with my issue. I've admitted my issue. I've done everything I know how to do. It hasn't gotten better. In fact, I'm getting worse. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's a health problem. Maybe you're stuck spiritually and you think you're out of options. This woman thought she was out of options until she discovered there was another option and his name was Jesus. Look at what the text says about her. It says, after hearing about Jesus, she heard about the doctor. She heard about the treatment. She heard about the the medical things that were available. But then she heard about Jesus. After hearing about Jesus, well, what does that mean? What did she hear about Jesus? Well, no doubt that he was doing miracles and healing the sick everywhere he went. This guy was healing people, raising the dead, casting out demons, healing lepers, healing paralytics. And she heard about it. Now, we need to hear about Jesus. And that's why we talk about Jesus when we're in church. That's why we're preaching about Jesus, amen. I love the Old Testament. I love the stories. We've got to study that too. But, you know, we need to hear about Jesus. This woman heard he was healing. He was doing miracles. You know, and bringing our issues to Jesus requires that we do the same three things 
that this woman did. And the first one was this. Like her, we have to seek Jesus out. Oh, pastor, I'm in church. Look, I brought my Bible with me. I even come on Wednesday once in a while. Of course I seek Jesus. Do you know we can do all those spiritual things, all those religious things, and never really seek him about our issues? In fact, we could still be in denial about our issues. We could still be ignoring our issues. We could still be hoping no one notices our issues. But we've got to seek him about our issues. You know, seeking after Jesus means finding him. She literally had to find him. We always hear people talking about finding themselves. Have you heard that? You know, the, the younger generation and some of, you know, even in my generation and stuff, talking about the, you know, they go through school and they graduate college and then now I'm going to take some time off to find myself. Well, if you're trying to find yourself, let me tell you, you're here this morning at Full Gospel Center. I see you. You're there. Go ahead, touch yourself. We got a world trying to find themselves and, you know, People, it's self-actualization is what they call it, and, you know, defining yourself and your goals. And, and I want to say to us as Christians, and even to this generation, stop trying to find yourself and seek Jesus. Amen? Here's what I found out. When I found Jesus, he wasn't lost. Jesus, I found you. I wasn't lost. I found that I was lost, and he saved me. Amen? So stop trying to find yourself and understand yourself and, you know, I need to have good self-image and self, self, self and read a copy of Self Magazine. Stop! Seek Jesus. When you find him, you're going to find out he can heal you, he can save you, he can restore what the enemy stripped away from you. We need to find Jesus this morning. Not that he's lost, it's just that we need him. She sought him out. She literally had to, you know, find where he was at. Now think about this. This woman literally had to go to where Jesus was. Like, like where is he? There's no phones. There's no Google Maps with the Jesus icon on it. Oh, Jesus is moving through. Like, you know, that's, is there any report online about where Jesus is? No, it was word of mouth. And then she literally had to walk to where he was. Think about it. She's weak. She's anemic. She's, she's hurting. And she gets up and she goes to where Jesus is. What an investment she made. How many of us would have just sat down and go, I quit, it's hopeless, I can't do this, I can't. You expect me to walk, Jesus is on. he's 25 miles away, you know, maybe I'll wait till he gets closer. She could have made excuses, no, but she got up, she got up and she sought after him and she got to where he was and got into his presence. You know, if we really want to be in his presence and have an audience with him, we've got to seek him. You say, well, where can we find Jesus today? And that's a legitimate question. She had to find where he was and go to him. We have to find where we can find Jesus. I want to tell you three places we can find Jesus. Number one, we will find Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Your Bible is not, you know, this spiritual duty book that you have to read a portion of every day. Your Bible is not a collection of nice little stories that talk about God. Your Bible is from cover to cover a living, breathing revelation of Jesus Christ. You can find Jesus in the Old Testament. You can find him in the prophets. You can find him all throughout the New Testament, the Gospels, in the book of Revelation. From cover to cover, Jesus is in here. 
You say, well, I don't feel like I, I know Jesus too well. Well, then you need to crack your Bible open and get massive doses of Scripture, and the, li the living Christ will leap off the written pages, and the Holy Spirit will make him real to you. <laughs> There's no reason not to know Jesus. He's revealing himself. But it's in the Word. Man, when I read the word, when I read these miracles, when I read the gospels, when I, when I see what Jesus said and how he responded, I get to know him. And the Holy Spirit illuminates truth and he comes alive to me. He comes alive to you. You can find Jesus in the pages of your Bible. Number two, Jesus can be found in the church he's building. Now notice I didn't say Jesus can be found in a church building. I said Jesus can be found in the church he's building. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, amen. Jesus is building the church. You say, well, what, what churches? You know, I've gone into some church building. Listen, I've been into some church buildings that were religious and doctrinally, they were unbiblical. And the only Jesus that was in the building was the Jesus I brought with me. Have you ever been there? And I'm not being arrogant or proud. I'm just saying, you know, I'm like, Holy Ghost, where are you? He's like, I'm in here. I'm uncomfortable too. Let's get out of here. <laughs> the Spirit in me grieved for so long. The only Jesus was. Now, Jesus is not in church buildings, but he's in the church that he's building. What are the marks of the church that he's building? Well, they're churches that love Jesus. And talk about Jesus. There are churches that keep the commands of Jesus and preach his word, amen? If you're in a church that doesn't preach his word, that doesn't keep his commands, that doesn't talk about him, where sin is never confronted, the gospel's never presented, no one ever repents, no one gets saved, no one gets born again, get out of there and find a church that he's building. You can find Jesus in the pages of your Bible. You can find Jesus in the church that he's building. And number three, you can find Jesus in those who are truly following him. See, not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Jesus said, not everyone who cries, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many people say that they're Christians just because that's what, you know, their family heritage was. But to be a Christian, you must be in Christ. You must be born again, Jesus said in John. That means that we repent of our sins. We accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. He comes into our lives and fills us with the Holy Spirit. And that we're changed from the old nature to a new creature. Now, we're not perfect, but we're new. We're not sinless, but we're born again. And so in every born-again believer, you can see Jesus. Our goal should be not to present a better representation of ourselves to people when they meet us. Oh, it's me, and look at me, and here's my accomplishments and my accolades, and would you like to see my resume? <laughs> Told you I didn't have patience for that. People need to see Jesus in us. Are we loving? Are we tender? Is there compassion in our eyes? Will we listen with our ears? Do we love people before we judge them? Jesus can be found in those who truly follow him. 1 Corinthians 1.11, the apostle Paul made this amazing statement. Follow me as I follow Christ. What a statement. Why? Because he made it without fear of contradiction. He was a Christ follower. And so he didn't say, you know, follow Paul and do what Paul does. No, he's like, follow me and you'll see Jesus and do what Jesus does. Amen. The goal is not to get people to follow us. 
It's to get people to follow Jesus. But they've got to see Jesus in us. So what we have to do is seek him out. And we can seek him in the Bible and in the church and in the followers of him. And we'll see him there and we'll grow in our faith there. And the second thing we need to do that this woman did is this. We have to push through the crowd. You know, it wasn't enough that she's sick, that she's weak, that she's hurting, that she had to travel. Now she gets to where he is, and guess what? There's no, you know, buy a ticket, sit down, and have a Jesus meet and greet. If she wants to be in his audience, if she wants to get in his presence, she's going to have to push through the crowd. You say, well, Pastor, maybe it wasn't crowded. Did you listen to the gospel representations of the miracle? They said to Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's pushing and shoving. Everyone's pressed up against you. That's a crowd. When you're hurting and you got to push through a crowd, I mean, those of us, you know, who have been in crowds before, if you've lived in the city, everything's a crowd. you got to push. When you're driving, you got to push. Amen. There are people from, you know, different, uh, different states that have come to New York, and they're still stuck trying to turn onto the road. <laughs> They've been there for 20 years. They're just stuck. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, some of you still won't smile. I'm bringing my super soaker next week, I'm telling you. So there's a pushing element. When we need a miracle, when we need an issue solved, when we need to get to Jesus, it's okay to get a little pushy. Amen? And this woman was willing to do that. She pushed through the crowd to get to him. Now, uh, what are the things that crowd Jesus out? Well, there are three things that I want to touch this morning. The first thing that crowds Jesus out is pride, doubt, and unbelief. There are many people that are just too proud to face their issue and too proud to bring it to Jesus. Pride will keep us from his presence. Pride will turn, you know, a four-day journey into a 40-day one. 40 years, 40, around, lap, take another lap. Could have made it in quick, but no, pride, unbelief, rebellion, all of these things, they, they crowd Jesus out of our lives. That many people say, well, you know what? I'm sick and I tried everything that, you know, medical science has to offer. What's Jesus going to do for me? Doubt, unbelief. This guy that died thousands of years ago, he's going to heal me? God doesn't still do miracles. Doubt, unbelief. We're going to talk about that in the conclusion of this message here in just a little bit. But I want you to know that doubt, unbelief, and pride will crowd Jesus out of your life, will keep you in your issues, and will deny you a miracle. Number two, what else crowds Jesus out of our lives? An unbalanced drive for material gain and achievements. Some people can't get to Jesus because they're too busy pursuing material things. I need money, I need a big house, I need a second house, I need a bunch of cars, I need toys, I need a big retirement, I need a bank account, I need achievements, I need accolades. Oh, it's dead quiet now. I enjoy, I enjoy this. Hang on, just let me enjoy this. All that stuff that the world lies to us and tells us we need, it makes us so busy, it crowds Jesus right out, and it costs us miracles. Some of us need to work less and pray more. Some of us need to work less and spend more time with our families. Uh, I've never heard of anyone on their deathbed saying, you know what, I, I wish I would have worked more. Those 70-hour weeks, man, I could have worked 90. It you know, 
No, they say, I wish I would have spent more time with my children, my grandchildren, my, my wife, my spouse. I got to have achievements. I got to have respect. I got to have trophies. I got to have accolades. I need plaques with my name on it. Look at this. Did you ever see this, you know? You know, I got an award for preaching the, fast, uh, the, the best 20-minute sermon. Now I won that. You're not going to go to heaven with trophies and plaques and with letters of commendation from, hey, hey, God, did you see this letter of commendation from Said uh, They said this about me. Got a gold watch when I retired. Am I making my point this morning? Those achievements and those accolades and that drivenness that the world has bought into for more, more, more crowds Jesus out and robs us of our opportunities for miracles and we stay in our issues. We have to push through the crowd. We have to deal with our issues and we have to get to Jesus and it's going to take some tenacity. The third uh, thing I want to mention about what crowds people out of the presence of God is this, our inability to discern our true spiritual condition. This is a big one. I want you to get this today. The world doesn't know that it's lost. And the sinner doesn't know that it's lost. In fact, most of us, when we were lost and needed to be found and needed to experience Jesus as Savior and Lord, thought we were pretty good people, if we'd be honest. You know, maybe a few of us would say, no, I was really bad, you know, and you know, you should have known me then, and I'm like, no thanks. But, you know, most of us think, oh, I was a good person. I'm pretty good. You know, most people say, you know, I, I try to do more good things and bad things. And, you know, I'm better than most of my friends. That's just because you hang out with lousy people. But I, I hope that God grades on a curve, and I'll slip in. And the Bible says the wages of sin are death, and that all of us are sinners, and we're in need of a Savior. But the world doesn't understand its true spiritual condition. The truth is, without Christ, we're dead and dormant. We're not even alive. The Bible calls it regeneration, when our spirit comes alive. When does that happen? When we're born again, when we accept Christ, when we're forgiven of our sins. But until then, we are, uh, there's a part of us that is dormant. Now listen to me. All of us are trichotomous beings. That's a fancy word for meaning we have three parts. God made us in his image. He made us body, soul, and spirit. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? We're three parts like he's three parts. We have a body. We, we're in a body. We have a soul, and we are a spirit. That spirit part of us is going to live forever. The body is not, and the soul will stay with the spirit. But understand something. Until you are regenerated, uh, born again, your spirit is dormant, and it's not alive. Those who are not in Christ are the walking dead. Evangelical Lutheran minister L.P. Jensen gives us this very articulate definition of what the true spiritual condition of lost humanity is. He said this, Through the lamentable fall into sin, man has entered into the abyss of misery in which he exists before he is regenerated. In this state, man is wholly deprived of the image of God. His nature is completely depraved and corrupted by sin. He is inclined only to do evil and unable and unwilling to do anything good. All men are by nature in this corrupted state and subject to God's wrath and the curse upon body and soul. If not revived or regenerated, man will remain in death and be lost forever. 
Now, that is what the Bible teaches about the condition of lost humanity when we haven't come to Christ. And judging by the looks on your face this morning, it's pretty sobering, isn't it? But thank God for Jesus, who has regenerated us and made us alive to God. Amen? Thank God for the blood of Jesus that gives us access to the Father, that once our spirits were dead and cold, but we became alive in Christ. Humanity doesn't understand that they're lost. Mankind thinks we're good and false religionists lie to them and tell them all roads lead to God and God would never send anyone to hell when the truth is God sends no one to hell. We wind up in hell because we reject Jesus Christ. God is not willing that any should perish. Well, why would a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, why would anyone reject a loving God? God help us to understand our true spiritual condition. See, people who don't know that they need to be found because they're lost crowd Jesus out with all the busyness of life. And as Jensen said, if we don't address that issue, we'll be lost for eternity. Like her, we have to seek him out. Like her, we have to push through the crowd. And number three, I close with this. Like her, we have to connect with Jesus by faith. There needs to be a personal connection made with Jesus, and it won't be an intellectual one. It won't be a theological one. It, it won't be, you know, just some sort of fraternal one. It has to be a spiritual connection that is connected by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, I know God intellectually. That is the biggest joke I have ever heard. There's no way we could connect with God intellectually with our little two-circuit brain. We're not wired for the current he's running. Hello? You ever meet I'm people that just are so enamored with their own intellect. I'm so smart, and I have the diplomas to prove it. Hmm. It's got to be a faith connection. And this woman wanted to have a faith connection with Jesus. She didn't want to come to him and ask him medical advice. She didn't want to come to him and have a sit down and maybe discuss the psychological effects of her issue. She didn't want to come to him and, you know, debate with him theologically about why this was allowed to come into her life. She wanted to come. She said, if I just touch the hem of his garments, I will be well. Wow. What great faith she had. She literally hunted him down, found out where he was, pushed through the crowd, grabbed his clothing, released her faith, and boom, he released healing virtue into her body. Wow. <laughs> you say, how do I get healed? There's the recipe right there. You gotta approach him in faith. You gotta release your faith. You've gotta grab a hold of him and connect with him by faith because it's only faith that heals us. Every miracle we're gonna look at, every time Jesus said it over and over again, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. Get up, your faith has healed you. Go, your faith has made you clean. Over and over again. He never said, oh, it was your great question. It was your intellectual approach. It was your wonderful theological statement. It was faith every time. I want to close this message with making these two statements. Whatever you believe Jesus can do for you, he can. You're like, whoa, that, that's pretty broad right there. Whatever. Yeah, whatever you believe Jesus can do for you, he can. Matthew 17, 20. 
He said to them, behold, it was because of your meager faith. You remember the disciples were trying to cast devils out. They couldn't. They came back and they're like, why couldn't we cast them out? Jesus said it was because of your little or meager faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move, and it will move there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Whatever you believe Jesus can do for you, he can do. The other side of the coin is this. Whatever you believe Jesus can't do for you, he can't. Matthew 13, 55 through 58. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is his mother not called Mary? Is his brother James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are, they, are not they all with us? When then did this man acquire all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not dishonored except in his hometown and his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Whatever you believe Jesus can't do for you, he can't. He's not going to push miracles on you. He's not going to rip your issues out of you and make you face them. He's a perfect gentleman. Well, I don't believe in healing. Stay sick. Well, I don't believe God can bless my finances. Stay broke. Well, I don't believe I can for, be forgiven of my sins. They're too big. Stay lost. But whatever you believe for, he can do. Because the only thing that limits Jesus is our faith. Bring your issues to him. Seek him out. Find him in the pages of your Bible. Be in church. Connect with the Holy Spirit. Get with those who are truly following him so they can sharpen your iron. Uh, push through the crowd. Connect with him by faith. And when you bring your issue like that, he will heal you every time. Let's bow our heads this morning. Father, I just thank you this morning for this woman. And uh, Father, in just these few verses, we've learned so much about her and so much about miracles and so much about what it takes to be healed and to face our issues. Father, I pray this morning for everyone within the sound of my voice. If you're here this morning and if you've never had an opportunity to come to Jesus and confess your sin and receive him as Savior and Lord, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. He made salvation so easy. He died in, on the cross in our place so that all we had to do is accept what he did on our behalf and we would be forgiven. You say, what happens when I'm forgiven? Our sins are blotted out and our names are written down in what the Bible calls the Lamb's Book of Life. We become believers. He fills us with the Holy Spirit and gives us the power to live a different life. You say, I've been trying to live a different life. I've been trying to, to be better, but I can't do it. We can't do it without coming to the Savior. Jesus died for us because he loves us. He died for you because he loves you. And today, by a decision of your will, you can invite him in and accept him. And from this moment forward, your life would change. If you want a clean slate and a fresh start, I want you to lift your hands this morning. How many people would say, I want to come to Jesus, and I want a clean slate and a fresh start? God bless you, man. Keep your hand up. God bless you. Uh, just let's take time. I don't want to miss anyone. We're going to pray a prayer together. God bless you, young man. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you, young man. God bless you. God bless you, young man. Praise God. Young and old, come to Jesus. Let's pray a prayer together. Lord Jesus, I come to you a sinner. 
and I admit my issue. I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to, to be my Savior, and to be my Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the power to live a different life. From this moment forward, I belong to you. I'm a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family of God. God bless you this morning. Amen. Now, I want to encourage you this morning. The Bible teaches that, you know, this is the first step we take towards 